Welcome to the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast, a podcast for smart moms. I'm Dr. Lindsay Weisner. I'm a psychologist, a mom, an author, and an occasional shit show. I'm Sharon Sapir. I'm a mom with a master's in nutrition from a fancy pants school, and I still want to eat my face off sometimes. We want to make you think. We want to make you laugh. And we want to remind you that, hey, we all go through shit. This week's guest on the Neurotic Nourishment Podcast is Zoe Aston, creator of Your Mental Health Workout. Zoe is a therapist and mental health consultant and all-around nutritional fitness badass. Zoe believes that if we want our mental health to look as good as our ass, we have to spend as much time working on our mental health each day as we do working on our glutes. That's sort of my summary, not hers. You can find Zoe on Instagram at Your Mental Health Workout and at her website, yourmentalhealthworkout.com. Have a listen. She's got a lot to say and a lot of experience and a lot of solid tips. And Sharon and I really enjoyed speaking with her. Hi, Zoe. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Of course. We are so excited to talk to you about all the many things you're working on. Sharon is in particular excited to hear some more about sort of how you got to um, I guess, to this point in your career, because it all happened really fast. Yeah. So just tell us a little bit about what you do and what led you, because I know that you did change careers. Um, so yep. love to hear about that. Okay. So, I mean, I've actually been a psychotherapist for quite a long time, for about nine years. And it's just earlier this year, I decided to go down the freelance route and do some more sort of media-based stuff. So I've been working quietly in rooms with people for... Um, coming up to about nine years and I decided to sort of hit Instagram because I had this I suppose I had this kind of desire to share everything that I had learned and through my clients and through my training and through my own therapy experience with people who don't have access to it and it's always been a bugbear of mine that lots of the information that I got through therapy or through psychology training should really in my opinion be available to everyone I was always like, why don't people learn this stuff? So um, it, it came to a head earlier this year and I started my Instagram account and that kind of kicked off really quickly. But actually before I was doing any of that, I actually worked in the performing arts. I was a dancer. Wow. Um, yes. Yeah. So I, was, I did that most of my life until I was about 23 properly. And then I stopped completely when I was about 26 and just focused on psychology um so I had a career change yeah can I ask what kind of like what kind of dance you did or how so I ran a my main thing that I did was I ran a, a dance company here in the UK called it was called Interlude Dance Troupe UK and I started it when I was 16 again wow. on a whim <laughs> um, and it went really well I ran it for like 12 years I learned so much I made so many mistakes I loved it um and we did mainly things you see a music video like hip-hop and uh we did sort of theater shows and we also had a lyrical side to the company so we did uh contemporary and more sort of balletic pieces I guess um but it was really fun it was really really fun it's just a tough 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 industry to be in particularly um and it's no secret that I've struggled with my mental health so you know particularly if you're struggling with mental health it's a the performance industry is a really tough place to be and I think one day I was like 
I don't know if I can do this for the rest of my life. Um, what, which is what, what made it? I'm just so curious what made it, because I'm so unfamiliar with the performance industry, what yeah. made it hard on, on the mental health side, I aside think from pressure? Sort of, yeah, the nature of it being quite unpredictable. So, you know, for me, have not having a structure, not knowing what was coming next was really difficult. Also, there's all the body image stuff with dancing, which I found very difficult. I had an eating disorder um, throughout, well, through most of my life, I think, but quite severely during my teens um, and had treatment for that and I think after that a couple of years went by and I was like this is really not conducive to me being well um, and maintaining a really good mental health um, recovery it's not really very uh, a particular it's not the things that go on and the things that were triggered in me in terms of how I felt about myself were just not really helpful in mm. terms of what I need <coughs> So sure. it's, it's unpredictable. The focus is on appearance. I imagine it to bring up all the things that you were struggling with, but I want to correct, yeah. <laughs> jump in. You, so I feel like we should all be talking more about our mental health struggles, because if you show me someone who hasn't had mental health struggles, I feel like they're lying. I just credit you with being self-aware enough to, I guess, address them, seek treatment, yeah. and then do something positive with everything you learned. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think I'm. it's been mental health awareness today. And yesterday and today yeah. I had a number of events that I was attending. And I found myself saying over and over again, you know, yes, one in four people have a diagnosable mental health issue, an eating disorder, an addiction, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, you know, paranoia, whatever it is. But that doesn't mean that the rest of us are immune to it. We all still have mental health and we all still have thoughts and feelings. And sometimes we get sad and sometimes we don't know how to cope with it and there's it's not actually that mental health we don't think we're not exactly sure but we don't it might not be that mental health has actually got worse over the years it's actually that we've got less better at less good at coping with it so we have less available coping mechanisms um which means that people are struggling more because we're less good at coping with feelings partly because of the influx of technology and screens and you know the the difficulty in relationships but yes you're right everybody should I would like to so I would like it so that everybody has at least the option to talk about what's going on in their heads Uh, I mean I think yeah sorry I was just gonna say it really blows my mind that they don't teach in schools while children are growing up to deal with emotions Um, it 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 boggles me and I'm a nutritionist and most of my work with my clients involves how do we separate our emotions from food and not use food as a, a coping yeah. mechanism. And I, I just, I'd love your thoughts on that, on if it can be taught and should be taught or how. Gosh, yeah. I mean, I don't specialize with children. I'd love to do it, but I mean, it's, it's tough work working with young people. So I only work with adults, but I think, if there was a way that we could find to get into the idea of emotional well-being in schools, I mm-hmm. think we would have a couple of generations ahead of us yeah. um, would be in absolutely great shape in terms of, med- I mean, I say that, I don't know what's going to happen in the next 200 years, but um, hope I would hope that that would be something that really improves the quality of young people's lives. 
the I think the problem is that feelings are things that we can't see and generally speaking we we're quite frightened of things that we can't see it's you know we can see our food we can see our bodies we can see the other you know we can see our ways of exercising we can see things like you know general uh, the the more common things that people use to navigate their feelings like cigarettes and alcohol and other self-destructive behaviors that we all take part in at some point in our lives um but you can't see your feelings so it's quite difficult to teach a child this is what anger is or this is what sadness is until they're actually feeling it and because depending on the family system children don't necessarily show feelings in different ways it's different every single time it sometimes is challenging I think to know when this particular child is demonstrating anger or sadness because that's unique to the person. So I think the struggle is that there isn't a sort of hard and fast rule about feelings. And that's what I think people find difficult. And that's our challenge. You know, I, I, I also think, I, yeah, sorry. Well, I also, adults, sorry, I told you I'm prone to this. I also think adults um, are the ones who sort of connect feelings and food, you know, yeah. not, I mean, my husband does this. He's done it since they were little. I want to kill him for it, but he's still alive. Where, like, if they get a boo-boo, he gives them a chocolate chip. I'm like, that is not what we're supposed to be doing. Um, but it's like a quick, simple distraction that yeah. will probably not be good in the long term. <laughs> I know! Sure, yeah. <laughs> I'm shaking my head. That's what she's saying. Yeah. <laughs> I am. And I know when I've had this argument, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's exactly the thing that those are the kind of things that happen. And it's a quick fix, isn't it? It's like my kid's really angry. So I'm going to give them a cookie. And then they're going to smile. and They're going to feel better for a little bit. And it lets me off the hook. So yeah, parenting is tough. I'm not a parent myself. But I've worked with lots of people who are parents. And there's a multitude of things that you don't even think about it until you have a child. And, you know, going the long way around and helping them understand that actually, they don't need to eat in order to feel better. They don't need sugar in order to feel better. You can actually have, you can actually feel better by getting a cuddle or by having some emotional nurture. It's quite a difficult thing to learn because the sugar does it quicker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we prefer we prefer, we're a sort of uh, we love instant gratification. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's ac- across the board. Most of us will go for the instant fix rather than something that takes a little bit longer. Which is true. And Zoe, I will tell you for future reference, you have no idea the millions of ways you can fuck up a child, but we'll be happy to tell you if you choose to, even when you choose to have a child of your own, there are so many ways, but you're right. Instant gratification is definitely one of them. Yeah. (laughs) So I'd love to know about, um, so you grew up, I mean, you grew up, performing, you said you struggled with an eating disorder. And then I, I did some sleuthing and I saw that that is one of your areas of expertise is treating eating disorders. And I'm, um, as a nutritionist that I did not specialize in eating disorders. And I've always been very like, that's probably the last area. Like I'd go, if, if I got my master's in nutrition, I didn't go on to do the internship because I didn't want to do clinical nutrition, but yeah. had I gone into it, I would have gone into dialysis before I, I would have gone into <laughs> like, eating disorders because it, 
I, I it, it just seems like something that is terrifying to, uh, yeah. in itself. And I'd love to know how, what your approach is. So, I mean, I often work alongside a nutritionist when I'm working with eating disorders. Mm. Um, people with eating disorders, people who suffer with eating disorders generally don't like their nutritionist. So it's, um, I'm not surprised. It's difficult, yeah, it's a really difficult thing for the nutritionist because it's sometimes difficult for the client to separate the person, the nutritionist, from what they're asking them to do, which is change how they're eating, which is, of course, their main coping mechanism. So it's a really tough one. And it's tough in therapy as well, you know, because you're, you, again, you're asking them to consider, maybe not in so many words, but you're asking them to consider that there's a different way of, of living, a different way of coping with life um but my approach is it depends on the person so sometimes we have to go in around the food behaviors and find ways of uh damage damage doing damage control to start off with and reducing the the destructive behaviors and maybe getting their weight up or down depending on what the disorder is um and sometimes we have to go in around the feelings and that is individual to each person. So sometimes it's about emotions that need to be released and resolved. And then the food can start to straighten itself out a little bit more. Or we work on their self-esteem and suddenly, or not so suddenly usually, but eventually it feels more, they feel more capable of eating, um, of eating in a healthy way rather. Um, I'm thinking in my head of anorexia there, but of course, across the board, you know, an overeater, the same thing. You know, once their self-esteem is in check, then they're not going to be punishing themselves through overeating in the same way that anorexia doesn't won't punish themselves through starving themselves. So ultimately, the foundation of it is self-esteem work. It's about understanding those negative core beliefs that are driving the eating disorder behaviors. And in my mind, there are sort of two categories and people generally fit in, generally, I'm always happy to be proved wrong, but generally fit into one of the two categories. And one is that it's an eating disorder behavior that has kicked off because of, you know, exposure to social media or diet fads. And it's been something that they've tried and they've got a bit of external validation for it. And then it went a little bit too far and they just need a bit of help understanding why they need to be treating themselves in a nicer way and being kinder to their bodies and kinder to their minds. And then there's the other side of the coin, which, I mean, we'd say is the more sort of pathological side of eating disorders where actually usually more intensive treatment is required. But the truth of the matter is that most of us are on a spectrum. We all have a relationship with food and there's a really large area of normal where um, some people will have a tendency to slightly undereat on feelings. Some people have a tendency to slightly overeat on feelings. And most of us get away with that on a daily basis. It's just the people who fall off the ends that need a little bit of support to get back into moderation with their eating. But ultimately, my approach, as that was the question that you asked, differs from person to person depending on what they need, depending on how old they are, depending on what their life experience is, depending on what's going on in their life and what's realistic. Because the the worst possible thing that can happen when you come to therapy, particularly for an eating disorder, is that your therapist says, I want you to do this, this and this. And it's just totally unattainable in terms of your own life setup. 
So it really does have to be individualized. It's certainly not an all a one size fits all. What I do know is that usually with any type of eating disorder, it doesn't matter how severe it is, if the person is managing their feelings through food, there is probably an emotional rupture quite early in their life. Because if you think about it, food is the second thing that we come into contact with. The first thing is mum, we're in relationship, and then we get fed. Right. So we learn very quickly that food makes us feel, has the power to make us feel better. So it's usually quite an early disturbance that we're working with, which is why they're so tricky. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and that's so interesting because I had never really thought of it at its core as a self-esteem issue. Um, yeah dealing with mostly people who are looking to lose weight, I know, and having a binging and restricting, uh, I guess, pattern or even disorder myself for many, many years. I know that when I, binging would be a, a form of punishing myself because it wouldn't be enjoyable. The food wouldn't taste good anymore and I, I yeah. wouldn't feel comfortable. So I, I recognized that at some point that I was punishing myself and I do incorporate that. But um, yeah that is just really, that's very interesting. And I, I'm also curious in terms of taking an individualized approach, how much of it is your intuition in terms of how to, to deal with each person individually and how much of it is, I guess, like theory, you know, what you learned and applying it? Yeah. So particularly with eating disorders, that's a really difficult line to tread because there is so much damage that someone can do to themselves through an eating disorder. And yet the human in there um, really needs me to be attuned and intuitive to what their emotional needs are. And I, being a person who has suffered from eating disorders, I feel qualified to say that we can be very manipulative. So there needs to be, it's quite a careful um it's quite a careful line to tread and it's often quite a challenge to you know express love and compassion and empathy for the person in there who is suffering but also hold a hard line with the eating disorder and let it know that it's not going to get it's not going to we're not going to let it get any worse or we're not going to let it go into relapse and I would say that that side of me the theory side of me the sort of practical side of me has the idea of the eating disorder in its grasp so to speak and the intuition the intuitive side of me is more has more empathy and interest in the human being who's in there because people with eating disorders eating disorder takes over absolutely and sometimes the person can disappear but they're still in there they don't they don't die they don't go in you know right. they don't disappear off the face of the earth they just sort of go into hiding because the eating disorder ultimately shames them into hiding so the theoretical part of me has a handle on the eating disorder behaviors but the intuitive part of me is the part that connects with the human being and that's again the dosage of that is dependent on how severe the behaviors are and also what the individual needs hi guys happy cyber monday and black friday and all these other made-up american holiday sales we use to you know uh, increase small business revenue which is great but i've decided to take that over here to Neurotic Nourishment. In honor of Cyber Monday and of the kindness of our hearts, and yes, a blatant desire for self-promotion of our new Patreon page, we have an exciting announcement. 
For those of you who don't know, Patreon is a website that allows fans to support their favorite artists, whether that means writers, podcasters, singers, or any other creative types. Lately, you've probably seen or heard my children talking about Patreon on social media. Want to know why I make them talk about it? Want to know why I make them do the dirty work? Well, I'm a woman, and historically and anecdotally and personally and statistically, it is really hard for women to be okay with talking about money, about their self-worth, and about how much we want to and deserve to be paid. And I can't really promote women empowerment if I continue that myself, no matter how cute my children's advertisements are. I do this podcast because I love it. But just like that whole yearly Wikipedia plea, and by the way, you should donate money to Wikipedia because they're like the only people that knew how many columns were left standing in the Coliseum a few years ago, which was huge and random. But just like that yearly Wikipedia plea, there are costs associated with my running this podcast, with us running this podcast. So if you are a regular listener of the Neurotic Nourishment pod, please go to patreon.com backslash neurotic nourishment and sign up to be a patron. Anyone who signs up in the month of December will automatically get boosted to the perks of the next level. For example, if you sign up at the $5 per month level, you will have access to free epi- bonus episodes and free merch that usually only happens at the $10 level. If you sign up for the $10 level, will give you a chance to access a monthly Q&A with myself and one surprise guest, which is going to be pretty cool. It'll be more like an interactive discussion. And trust me, we've got a lot of guests scheduled and they're going to rock it. If you sign up for the $50 per month level, I'll give you free airtime for 10 episodes, world peace, and possibly my firstborn child. Listen, I figure if you're willing to donate 100 bucks a month, the least I can do is figure out world peace. Please go to patreon.com backslash neurotic nourishment and help us start talking about what we're worth and how to ask for money and also how to pay my goddamn sound editor. Thanks, guys. Have a listen. I'm curious, Zoe, is there in your own sort of road to recovery, is there a moment that you felt really shifted things? Do you know what? No, it was really gradual. It was really, really gradual. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I wish there was... There are moments that I can pinpoint uh, where I was like, oh, wow, I did that. Or, you know, I managed that or I coped with that. Um, that's great. Or, you know, I've done five weeks or three months without any eating disordered um, behaviors. And that's amazing. But it was so gradual for me um, that I can't say that there was anything other than commitment and hard work that went into my recovery there is a big spiritual element to my recovery as well that has played a really big part but again that's been gradual you know now I would say yeah yeah, spiritual spirituality plays a really big part in how I hold myself on a day-to-day basis and that came on really really gradually and partly I think because I was doing that from my late teens (laughs) from my late teens into my 20s part of that is growing up part of that is about growing up so some of it might have happened naturally um recovery or no recovery but there wasn't a defining moment for me where I was like um I'm better now you know there was a moment where there was we did have a moment where my family were like this is enough you know we had the sort of rock bottom and you know too much and you need help and that happened um but the getting better bit was so slow 
that it's I almost I sometimes hesitate to tell clients quite how long it can take to get into some into how long it took me rather to get into solid recovery um because it took time yeah it should I think I mean it's a huge change you know I, I do think we're all looking for a rock bottom story and a you know turning of the tides like cinematic movie moment but um I think your answer is really better because it's sincere like it's hard work you know changing on yeah. like and I'd love to yeah. hear more about your spiritual journey, if you don't mind telling us a little bit more about that. Sure. I mean, I don't quite know how to put it into words. Um, I So, I mean, in the depths of my, when my mental health was at its worst, I really hated myself and, you know, I was punching myself all over the place and there was no, I didn't have any concept that there was anything outside of myself that um, could, could be of any use, I guess. And I've never really been religious. I didn't grow up in a religious family or any of that. So that kind of never really played a part. Um, but I think over time, I just started to notice that actually I didn't need to rely on myself absolutely everything and actually leaning on other people and trusting that things were going to be okay and that you know feeling angry about something wasn't going to be the end of the world or feeling frightened about something didn't mean I wasn't going to do it and developing a sense of you know I suppose I mean I call it what would I call it my my intuition or my higher self or my higher power or something like that um really allowing that part of me or that part of the universe to prove to me that it was okay to take risks and it was okay to step outside of my comfort zone and that there was something else that was going to look after me. That it wasn't, you know, if I ate a fear food, for example, the whole world wasn't going to come crashing in. And, I mean, the way that I notice it now is that I become, I've become more... I just, I have faith. I trust the process. I trust that everything happens for a reason. And I know that I'm going to be okay, regardless of what happens. You know, I really trust that actually I'll be okay. And I think that is, that can go back to a self-esteem thing um, where, you know, fundamentally I'm like, okay, I'll handle it, whatever happens. But that strength I didn't have historically. So that comes in from somewhere else. And I see it in talking about food, but I see it in the way I eat as well. I'm much more drawn these days to um, a, a sort of, I suppose you'd call it a sort of a more pure way of eating, um, which has just happened slowly over time. So it hasn't, it hasn't been, it hasn't come in as a sort of way of managing or controlling my food. It's just actually you know, things like red meat slowly, I just didn't want to eat them anymore. And I think that's about being more sort of spiritually connected to not only your body, but also to the rest of the world. Lindsay, do you feel like you're like you're talking to me right now? I'm just wondering, because I'm like here, like shaking my head. I'm like, yes, like, <laughs> yes, I get it. Like you've surrendered, you know, to the universe and, and you've conquered I a lot do. of fears and you've, I've, you know, you phased out red meat. The same thing happened to me. I'm not trying to make yeah. this about me or trying to say I'm as cool as Zoe. I'm just saying I, <laughs> I really understand it. And yeah, um, yeah, Lindsay's giving me a face. I just feel, no, I just feel hungry for a hamburger. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I think this is really interesting. And yes, you two are very similar. Okay. Um, 
<laughs> and I, I do like the whole long-term journey approach. I think it's yeah. it's very fascinating. And I'm also excited to hear, wait, just for, for clarification, a fear food is what? So food, like one of mine was chips. Mm. So Like, like I, English chips, like French fries? Yeah, like, like French fries. Okay, we're just doing mm. yeah, yeah, French fries. Um, so something that I was like really frightened of eating, uh, you know, and either in order to eat that, I'd either, you know, it, when I was in my eating disorder, it would be, I'd have to be sick or I'd have to like starve myself afterwards. So there'd be quite a um, dramatic response to it rather than just being able to eat French fries and enjoy it. I, w- I do just want to add in there that, yeah, I have naturally sort of um, moved towards a more um, plant-based way of eating um hang on a second what was that what was I going to say yeah so I I just want to add that I have although I have moved towards naturally moved towards a sort of more plant-based way of eating the I have to be careful about that because of course there are people with eating disorders that will be listening to this and thinking well that's how I should do it then I should go um, plant-based or vegan or vegetarian or something but the difference being that it's not a way of managing my feelings and also I don't commit to anything so I always say if my mum puts chicken in front of me Mm -hmm. I'll eat it you know if I'm in a restaurant and the only thing on the menu that I know that I'll eat includes you know it's spaghetti bolognese then I'll have it so and people are always like why don't you go vegan you know you're really spiritual and ethical and la 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 and I'm like it aggravates my eating disorder to commit yes. to anything like that yeah so if I'm you know like today I normally would have a nut milk I ordered a coffee forgot about the nut milk not the end of the world you know so just to dif- differentiate that um sort of controlled disordered way of attaching to a way of eating rather than it being a spiritual approach right so you're removing the morality or the label of or you know putting yourself in this category because that comes I've seen I'm sure you've seen it a lot too on social media you know plant-based vegan and and it almost seems and then there's the paleo and the meat eaters and it's like a war between them it's just ridiculous or it's another eating disorder but well orthorexia you know that yeah that is yeah, and it's a really big thing, and I just think having flexibility around it is part of part of part of recovery, part of eat, having a healthy relationship with food. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm. I also. I want to, and yes, I have less to talk about with food, unless we're gonna eat it and whatever. I um. I want to hear more about you know your your mind workout because that's really what what fascinated me about you is it's. It's a whole different way of looking at things and, you know, posts on Instagram are spot on with sort of comparing it to like it's leg day or it's arm day, you know, Yeah, which I think is fantastic. Um, How did it come about? It came about, um, I've often thought I've I've worked in treatment centers. I worked on a a treatment center in Harley Street, which is quite a, a big Sort of a bit of a famous street in London for a number of years and it, I like I enjoy being at the gym I enjoy moving I think it ties in you know my dancing background and how we use movement to express ourselves and all that kind of stuff and I've often thought you know group therapy in particular is like a workout for your head um, and then when I had the idea to start an Instagram account it, it actually started um named as something different which was just my private practice in London which was originally Life Therapy London but then the stuff that I was posting people were like this is like a workout for your mind and I was like that's it that's the thing so 
then I thought, as I was getting in, involved in the social media side of things, there are so many profiles that are offering you know, physical workouts to do this ab workout at home or like strengthening your arms and same with food. You know, we're just talking about it. Eat this, try this, hints and tips for ways of looking off the way ways of looking nice basically they were all sort of aesthetically led and I just thought wouldn't it be great if there was something like that for your mind how can we translate someone offering a, a you know a squat workout that we can do at home into something that you can do for your mental health because tied in with what I've just talked about with you guys the only way that I keep on top of my own mental health is through quite a lot of hard work and quite a lot of um you know, commitment and time spent looking at that over the past few years. And physical health is just like that. But we just, we don't, we didn't have a a tangible way of going, okay, this is what I need to do if I want to strengthen my mind. So like I do bicep curls, if I want to strengthen my arms, if I want to strengthen my self-concept or my self-esteem, or I want to know how to handle my feelings better, I need to work on gratitude or affirmations or I need to work on connecting with people and so that's how your mental health workout came about which is the Instagram name now yes um, um <laughs> I just sneezed apologies oh and I didn't even hear it oh my goodness yes yes well now I announced it victory <laughs> um the, yeah so the I'm 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 um saying a lot a lot around the edges but basically the idea is that they are these are things that you can do at home for your mind in the same way you'd work on your body it's just more difficult slightly more difficult because you can't see what's going on in your mind you can't sort of post about it you can't prove that you've done 200 sit-ups because you can't film what's happening in the biochemistry of your mind so people right. find it more difficult to commit to but I felt that there was a gap where we could just there could be a plan there could be something that actually people could just look at and go do you know what I really want to work on that for my mental health today and they would be able to refer to that so I managed to get the domain name which is yourmentalhealthworkout.com and the Instagram name and um, I think I just sort of fell into a gap in the market quite frankly a much needed gap I agree and maybe we should be posting about it you know uh, because Again, it's raising mental health awareness. It's the things that you're talking about are much needed by most of us, if not all of us. And I think uh, you're the first one to come up with sort of a a plan for it. I mean, I know you have a five-week program, right? A regimen. Yeah. Yeah. So the things that I include are stuff that's worked for myself and stuff that's worked for other people. And the five weeks is very specific because supposedly it takes 28 days to form or break a habit. We all sort of lots of people have that information already but it's then people get the 28 days and they go okay I'm done and then they go back to old behaviors and nothing really sticks so the fifth week is basically an extra seven days where you can think about what really worked for you and what didn't so what would you like to integrate into your life going forward and what what do you want to leave behind because it's a lot of in some ways it's a lot of stuff you can, I do it all the time, but for lots of people, it's quite a lot to fit into their lives. But the, the fifth week is the place where you can decide what is going to benefit you most and take that away with you. Um, it is a, it's a lot. That was the only like thought process I had weekly. I was like, I'm in, I can do this. But then daily I was like, 
but does it become, <sighs> but does it become a habit? So I think anything yeah. at first feels like a lot, but True. when it becomes ingrained in you, it's like yeah. second nature. I mean, that is the definition of a habit. Yeah, absolutely. And once it stops being a list of things you're doing, and it's just stuff that you do, like brushing right. your teeth, right. you know, and, uh, and ultimately my experience is that I use those particular resources for so long that now when I need them, they're just there. I don't mm-hmm. have to think about it. They're just there. I'm like, oh, this has happened. Uh, I'm a bit, let me think of an example. Like, oh, I felt a bit threatened by the person I just bumped into in the shop. And rather than having a panic attack about it, I know exactly what to say to myself and exactly what to do. So the default changes rather than losing control and feeling very anxious and possibly hyperventilating and really so it, having a difficult time. It sounds like a set of skills that you're teaching that almost like yeah. cognitive behavioral therapy, right? So that you can drop on yeah. them when you need them in order it's to cope yeah. in a healthy way. It sounds like DBT or like DBT based. I, which, yeah, yeah. Which is fantastic because for those of you that don't know, DBT has like the best re, uh, statistic clinical research rates of yeah. improving, um, which is fantastic. Yeah. Well, there's bits and pieces of both CBT and DBT in there. I mean, your mental health workout isn't going to tackle trauma. You know, that's why therapy is in there as an additional thing. You know, it's not going to tackle stuff that is, you know, running really sort of deep or is transgenerational or is or needs special attention in terms of difficult life experiences you might have had but yes it will tackle the top level um destructive behaviors it will tackle self-esteem it tackles boundaries one of the things that people really struggle with is how they contain their energy and how much they take on from other people yes so being social and being connected with other people is really important so that you get to practice those things and develop those muscles effectively um but yeah there's a mixture of both of those in there uh they are I didn't think that when I was writing it I wasn't thinking well this is CBT and this is DBT and this is person-centered but I suppose that it's an accurate representation of how I work as a therapist kind of pulling on everything that I know I'm just picking out the best bits and the clearest bits and the bits that are easiest to communicate and easiest to get a handle on that makes so much sense it does, but I think you're short. I think you're shortchanging yourself on one thing when you say it doesn't resolve, you know, trauma, etc. One of the pivotal like components of this is go to therapy, and so yeah. for some people that may be like that being part of something bigger and more public and more Instagram, you know, acceptable. It may in fact get people to uh, unearth and deal with those those deeper issues. So. I, I do think your program covers that, you know, in a by proxy way, which is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I mean, the argument that we have with the therapy thing is that people are like, well, I don't want to go to therapy or I don't want to spend uh, the money or whatever. And right. I, I sort of say there's a lot of other things you can do. Um, you don't have to go and sit in front of, you know, a, a man with a beard, which is what lots of people think about when they think about going to therapy. And I hope that my generation of therapists are co- starting to come at therapy from a slightly different perspective, which is everyone should have the opportunity to go, even if you go for five weeks and you get a little bit of something out of it and then you go off again and maybe you come back. You don't have to commit to it for, for the next every week for the next five years, but it's Absolutely. certainly something. Yeah, certainly something that pe- the people, I would love everyone to have the choice about doing 
rather than it having the stigma attached to it that you have to be crazy or you have to be mad or you have to be having a really difficult time to go. It's like, you know, I nowadays, I just book in with my therapist when I've got something I need to talk about or something I can't resolve myself. I'll go, I, I'm like, I need to go back and see my therapist for a session or two just to kind of talk this out. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> we keep doing this today. You I, go and I go. Okay, I go first. Okay. I am crazy certifiable, um, but I'm also a therapist and I have patients that I've been seeing off and on for 12, 15 years. And I, you know, I like to say there's, this is an open door policy, you know, you can leave, you can come. If you leave, don't think you can't come back. Yeah. And, And so it's great when someone does take me up on that because I have seen children grow up, you know, like I don't work with children because I hate dealing with parents, but I have seen parents, I get to watch their children grow up. I have seen, you know, people get married and it's, it's been really fantastic. Um, And it also, I think, makes them feel less stuck, you know, or crazy or, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally, I'm on exactly the same page as you, you know, I often say to people, I'll work with you for a couple of years and then they'll want to end and I'm like fine and then you know if something comes up and you want to and you want to come back you can do I mean there is a school of thought around endings you know old school psychotherapists would absolutely disagree with me on that um but I think the social media generation needs that kind they need to know that actually it's not out of sight out of mind yeah I think what you're doing that's so important on social media is that you are reaching this younger, maybe younger generation or just an, another audience and you're removing the stigma. Um, yes. You're removing the stigma. It's probably one of the hardest, but most important things re- concerning mental health. And you're just making it conversational. You're normalizing it. And I mean, I'm just, I love your page. So thank you for doing you. this work. I'm it, so, I'm just so yeah. chuffed. It's having an effect. <laughs> Well, we need it. it like you said, yeah. it's, it's filling a gap that it is, is desperately yeah. needed to be filled. I agree. I think it's fantastic. Lindsay, do you want to ask your happiness question? Yes, I do. <laughs> thank you. So, Zoe, I totally would have forgotten if not for Sharon. So, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I have a book on happiness. It's, it's a self-help book. It's called 10 Steps to Finding Happy. It is coming out in March of 2020. It is with the, well, it's coming out in celebration of and with the endorsement of the United Nations National International Day of Happiness, which is good and hopefully will raise mental health awareness beyond just, you know, one day of happiness. But so one of the questions we have started asking our guests is sort of how do you define happiness? Oh, um, how do I define happiness? I know it's a tricky one. It's we a loaded struggle. one. It's a we loaded struggle one. too. We were like, do we know the answer to that for ourselves? So yeah, I, I, I mean, so I really like it when I get into bed at night and I'm falling asleep and I smile because I think about things that have happened in the day. And I'm like, yeah, today was a good day. And I only know that when I'm going to sleep at the end of the day. I've got a smile on my face and I'm happy about what happens. So I guess it's the little smile. It's the, it's the, um, what would be the word? 
It's the good feeling at the end of the day. Yes, but the specifically, piece. it's the... Um, you don't like my, my good words. feeling? That was, that was classy. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I do no, like eloquent. a good feeling. It's fine. I suppose it's the involuntary, it's the involuntary smile. Fine, involuntary smile. That's what I was looking for. I love yeah. that. We haven't heard that yet. The involuntary no, we smile. Love it. I think love, that's yeah. good. And I think it's so important because therapists burn out. Any like mental health you know, or mental or physical workers, they burn out the most because our job is yeah. exhausting. And to, to be able to look at what you're doing and feel like you're helping people and finding yeah. a way to, uh, I guess, make yourself happy. I think that's huge. And you're right. Yeah. It, it's, it's cool that it sneaks up on you and that involuntary smile. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Zoe, for joining us. This was, I feel like I learned a lot and same. I'm excited to to follow your mental health workout. Yeah, I kind of want to yeah. try it too. Yeah, I think we should do it together. Yeah, okay. give it a try. Okay. I think we should. I and we'll report back. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. Tell me what works and tell me what doesn't. It's so interesting to hear from people. I've got people across the world doing it in drips and drabs. And I love that some people have tuned in on some things and other people have tuned in on other things. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear what works for you guys. But are you were going to say something you're planning? Is there like a start date? Coming? Oh, yeah. There's a book. Ooh. Yay! Yay! There's going to be a book. Amazing. But probably, I was hoping for next year, but I think it's going to be more like a 18 to 24 month period for various reasons. But it's in the it's in the making. I'm about, I sort of, I've done the first draft of the first half. Let's put it that way. So Ugh, um, Yes, I hear you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so the second half is still a complete mess, but um, it's coming. So I'm really excited about that. So the more feedback I can get in the next few months, the better. And maybe you'll come back on our show to promote your book when it comes out. I would love that. Yay. We're very excited. Thank you so much, Zoe. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Neurotic Nourishment to hear about upcoming guests and new episodes. We love hearing from you, so don't hesitate to slide into our DMs and let us know what you really think.